Welcome to the Old Chick Snow Shit Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. Today, I have a guest with me who um, I happened to hear a talk that she did on um, midlife awakening and courage and, you know, what it took to kind of throw expectation out the window to begin living her truth in this at this time of her life. So welcome to the show, Helen Zanitas. She's actually a local Toronto resident, and as soon as COVID is over, I'm hoping that you and I can actually sit down and, oh, <laughs> and, yeah, talk, and talk in person. So welcome to the show. And tell us a little bit about kind of where you were leading up to this awakening, as you called it, or this really the feeling the need to kind of live to your truth for this time of your life. So almost like the best way to say it is I was coasting. I, I was coasting through my life, waiting for it to begin according to what I thought it was supposed to be mm. based on what my parents taught me. So I was supposed to grow up. I was supposed to get married to a nice Greek boy. I was supposed to have a family, all these things. And, you know, I, 20s came, my 30s came, and I realized I'm waiting for this life to happen to me and I'm not living the life I actually have. Mm. Yeah. That's a really deep insight because so many of us, and I'm going to include myself in that, like you get autopilot and you go through life. Like, was there a particular moment or something that happened that was like, whoa, wait a minute, I haven't been conscious or present in my own life? Well, yeah, it was a very profound moment and it was April 4th, 2009. Yeah, it's etched in my memory forever. I was like, it was a Saturday afternoon. I was taking a nap. And literally this voice woke me up and said, Helen, if you don't change the way you're living, you're going to die. And I like, I sat up because I'm like, who said that? What is that? Right. And there was nobody around. It was just me. And I heard it again. And I didn't know where it came from, but I knew I had to listen. In a nutshell, that has started, that started the next 10 years of my journey, trying to understand what it means. Right. Interesting. So like, did you know without a doubt of what it meant? Like, or did you have like any kind of inkling as to like, what what are you talking about? Everybody's dying. Like, (laughs) no, I right away, my first thought being a woman and the way society is, my initial thought right away was, oh, you're physically going to die if you don't lose weight. So you should fix that. I knew the voice was intuitive. I knew I'd never heard it before, but I didn't understand the depth of the message. Right. So I went to the, the first thing that came to me was, oh, well, you know, I'm overweight. I should probably lose weight so I don't physically die. Right. And then how did that message evolve for you? Like, how did you get I guess, to the truth of what that message really meant for you? Because, and the reason why I'm asking this question is like, so many of us, so first of all, we all have so much inner wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. Like we have all of the answers to our lives inside of us, right? And so often we get intuitive nudges about things, we'll hear things, we'll have thoughts and we don't trust them. Yes. Right? Like we're like, oh, well, that was random. Okay, next. (laughs) 
right? Like, how did you then follow that? Like, if you're like, oh, I got to lose some weight. And then like, what was the evolution of your trust and belief in that message? It was like a great unfolding. And this is something I don't really share often, but I have, I guess a sugar addiction is the best way to say it, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, so this isn't just a matter of weight loss. I have to do some work here. And I had to explore options on how to take care of that and how to work with that. And I started to do that. And then I started just opening up to myself. What, who are you? Who are you became a really big question for me. Mm. Like, who are you, Helen? And I'm like, I don't know, because all I had been until this point was a product of who I was told to be and a rebel who just fought that. But I was Mm. never just calmly, comfortably myself. And it started in inklings. It's like, okay, who are you? What do you want? And it's like, the first thing I did, and I've shared this, the very first thing I did was, I want to take a writing course. I had no idea why. So I signed up and I took a writing course at Ryerson. The first night was great. I met all these wonderful people. The next week, we all had to come back with our stories. I showed up with my story. We started going around the room reading and their stories were phenomenal and so well-written. And as it came to my turn, I was panicking because I felt like my story was written by a seven-year-old in comparison. <laughs> right. skills, you know, it wasn't it just the, the language they used. And I read my story and I got emotional and I got critiqued like everybody else. And I realized, you know, my story was good. I'm not a writer in the true sense of I'm not a literary writer. Right. But I went back and I continued to go back and I continued to show up and I continued to write my stories. And the, the greatest lesson I learned at the beginning was it is okay not to be good at something. It is so okay not to be good at something. Just go try because you're never going to find out the things you're good at if you don't fail at, at stuff. And failing was never part of my upbringing. Perfection was expected. Yeah. So this was huge. Yeah. And I think that's so true, whether brought on by expectation of family or whatever it is, or even just from our own internal expectations or need to be enough, we are so afraid of failure. And it was kind of like the same thing for me when I started out. It was like, I had this inkling to write and I was just like, oh, okay, I'm just going to write something and see what happens. Right. And then it would be just like, oh, now here's another day I feel like writing and just see what happens. And I got to the point where I was like, oh, I freaking love writing. Like this is, you know, but if I hadn't started and I did it for myself, I was like, I'm not publishing this anywhere. It was just like for my own good. Right. And I love writing. I write the way I speak Mm -hmm. and that's how I write. And that's okay with me. Yeah. That's I'm beautiful. not going to, like, I'm not going to write a great work of literature. <laughs> it's not right. going to happen, but yeah. it doesn't matter. So it started there. And then it was like, I'm going to take, what did I do next? Next, I took an improv class and it was awesome to have to let people laugh at me. It was liberating to make a fool of myself so people could laugh at me and know that I was okay in that. And it was accepting what I was good at that I was always afraid to label. Like I take fantastic photography of people. And it took so long to call myself a photographer, like a hobby photographer, but a good photographer. Because it wasn't what anyone wanted me to be good at. Okay, so you grew up in, uh, I'm guessing, and you mentioned this earlier, kind of a traditional Greek family where there was expectations about what what your life would look like. You know what I mean? Like get married, get, have kids. And, and when you started kind of breaking out of this mold or starting to explore the opportunity to break out of the mold, did you get resistance from your family or were they just kind of like, what are you doing? Like, how did, how did that play out? Because sometimes the hardest part is getting past 
the identities that we think other people have for us. Yeah. In many ways, you know, if I could only go back in many ways, what I did was I lived a double life. I lived the life that they wanted to see. And then I lived my own life. You know, they didn't necessarily know where I went, who I hung out with and what I did because it didn't really go according to what they would have wanted for me. So what is the life that they wanted for you? They wanted me to be just like a really good Greek girl. And I really sucked at it. I did. I sucked at it. You know, I just, I was never, because it was never my thing. There's nothing wrong with it. It's, I mean, it's a beautiful culture I come from. It's not that I have anything against my culture or my family, but you know, I didn't care enough. I didn't care how good my Greek was. I didn't care to go Greek dancing. I didn't care. I never wanted to hang out with only Greek people. That was never my thing. I didn't want to grow up and marry a Greek guy. I would date some Greek guys and I felt like I was dating a cousin. Like, it's just (laughs) like, we're too much the same. This doesn't work for me. I just always felt like I was disappointing. You know, I didn't understand my religion. I didn't understand why I had to go to church on Sundays. I didn't understand why I had to fast. I didn't understand these things. So I was just questioning them on everything, but not enough to break away and say this, not enough to trust that they loved me enough that I could stand up and be myself and they would still love me, even though I know the truth is they would have. Right. So you played the role of the good Greek girl yes. on one side, and yes. then the other side, you went and lived the life that felt right for you, which included things like writing and improv and photography. That came later. At the time, it was more rebellious. It was partying. Oh, okay. <laughs> In my youth, it was rebellious. It was partying and things like that because I couldn't have the life I wanted, so I would just rebel against the life they were offering. But that's not great because I wasn't building. I wasn't building a right. life. I was slow. I'm like, I, you know, I say in a lot of ways, I blossomed in my 40s where I realized, no, wait, this is who I am and this is how I'm going to live. And, and the biggest lessons early on were understanding that I am a Canadian woman of Greek heritage. I am not a Greek woman and, and owning that and that I don't have the religion my parents had and trusting right. my mother enough to tell her that, right, which broke her heart. But you know, she maybe didn't want to believe it, but I owned my space and that's all I could do. And she still loved me. Uh, but those were crucial things that I was supposed to identify with. And then just trusting that I'm, and, and that I deserve to be loved this way. It, there's nothing wrong with who I am. I'm fine. I'm not letting anybody down but myself. Yeah. And, you know, I, I am a true believer in the fact that you can never go wrong honoring your truth like whatever the truth is in that moment. And no matter the fallout from that truth, it will never be wrong because it is your truth. Yes. And I talk about, in my speech, I talk about my trip to Africa. Right. And for a lot of people, you know, it's not a big deal. It's just a trip, right? And it, it is in a lot of ways. It's just what it meant for me because there's something about the continent of Africa that has called me to go visit forever. It's just, we all have that, soul place in our life. I remember I was, I was turning 49 and I'm like, I'm going to take a trip. I'm going to take a trip. Where am I going to go? And and I really was like, I'm going to go to Paris because literally I did believe every every woman wants to go to Paris. So let me go to Paris. It looks like a beautiful country. And every time I tried to plan Paris, I was like, but I I don't really want to do this. (laughs) And I'd been to Greece, you know, and again, the, uh, why wouldn't I want to go back to Greece? I'm like, well, I've been to Greece. I want to go somewhere else. And I'm like, where do you want to go? And I'm like, I want to go to Africa. 
I want them to so go to Africa. You're like a grown woman. There is nobody holding you back. It's really interesting how we take on the expectations of our families and make them our own somehow. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you, yeah. you don't even need permission. You have, you have your passport. You're paying for your own trip. Go to Africa. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to Africa. And it meant so much to me to book that trip because in that moment, it was like it was the truest, most pure gift I'd given myself of something I wanted only for me. That is so beautiful. And your point about, you know, how we take on the expectations of others and we make them our own. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like so many of us spend the first part of our midlife years literally deprogramming ourselves from all of the things that we've been carrying that actually didn't belong to us, right? It really is like a rebirth. It is. It is it, a rebirth. You know, people make fun of it, but it, it really is a rebirth. I'm like, I think I, part of me was born at 44. I, hundred, I feel the exact same way about myself at the age of 50. Talk about late blooming, um, yeah. <laughs> right? I'm now doing, starting to do all the things that I love to do. And before that, I was like in coast mode, like, you know, you go to school, you get a good job, you work hard exactly. and you get up the corporate ladder and, you know, you make the good money and you get the title. And then I remember I was like doing all of that and then sitting around the boardroom going like, what the hell? Like, what the hell am I doing yeah. here? I don't even care what these people are talking about. It's meaningless to me, right? And then going, but okay, well, what else is there? Like, how, how do I not do this? This is all I know. Right. And so when we start to unpack all of that baggage that we've been carrying that actually didn't belong to us, you're right. It is like a rebirth because we've just unloaded years and sometimes even centuries, if you think about where this comes ancestrally, centuries of stuff off our backs. Yes. So, yes, it's a rebirth. And I, you know, when I started, I went through menopause. It started like 49 for me, 48, 49. Yeah. I think one of the things that has irked me the most is where were all the older women? Where were all the older women when I needed guidance? Where were all the women my age when I needed a community who understood? Because we are so in denial of aging. We are so in denial of all of this. Like right now, my most fun thing is women and their gray roots. I mean, this has become my, you know, it's like, did we not know we had them? Like, we all know they're there. So why are we so shocked that they're showing through? It doesn't make us less attractive. You so what? You have gray hair. Yeah. I'm not saying don't go color it as soon as you can. Do what you need to do. But let's not look at it like it's horrible. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. We're so conditioned. Like, you know, I would talk to my friends about hot flashes and stuff and, and they'd wear it like this this pride oh no that hasn't happened to me yet and I'm like okay well it doesn't make you any younger I mean you're still the same age <laughs> right. so why can't we talk about what's happening so this is this is something that that's become a, an issue for me because sometimes I talk to younger women and it surprises me now that I've talked to women in their 20s who still hold on to that well I'm supposed to get married and buy a house and do this and do it do it all but don't build your life waiting for something to happen Live your life in the meantime, like live your life that will come into your life if it's supposed to. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a really good point because the other part too is, you know, a lot of us and myself, in, I'm gonna, again, including myself in this is like menopause hit me between the eyes, like a two by four. Like it was like, that's what it does there one day. And then, and, but then I started thinking about my body as betraying me. 
right? Like I can't sleep. I'm having hot flashes. I have zero energy, like all of this. And like, it was, to me, it was an actual betrayal and I started to hate myself for it. Did you think you were betraying when you got your period as a teenager and you had cramps and headaches and everything hurt and you didn't understand it? Was that a betrayal of your body? It kind of did actually feel a little bit okay. of that way, but it was, I think, a, li- a little bit more accepted because at the same time that was happening, I was like going, oh my God, I don't want this to happen. And I remember so clearly when the day I got my period and I'm like, I literally just want the earth to open up and swallow me whole. Right. Like I don't want to be here. But, but at the same time, what was happening was you were getting a lot of approval and reinforcement. It's like, oh, you're becoming a woman. Exactly. Oh, Right. The same thing is not happening to us when we are starting hot flashes and insomnia. Right. I think that menopause should be looked at as puberty for the next stage of our lives. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Because that is what it is, right? And I'm like, you're right. Because what happens is, oh, you're in menopause, you poor thing, you're getting old. It's like, oh, I'm in menopause, I'm going to get old and die. Like, let's, yeah. they're not, you know, maybe once upon a time, I don't know how young people died you know, hundreds of years ago. But we live to be like 80, 90 years old now easily. Yeah. So I have a whole life ahead of me. This is not aging me. This is just puberty. This is preparing me for the next part. This is like my wisdom being born. I'm letting go of those other things. That's a tweetable right there. Wisdom being born in midlife. It is. Love it. It is because as long as I'm I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm not anything. I don't study these things. I just go by how I feel. As long as I, I was in that stage of my life, my focus was on different things. And I never had my own children, but I still think there's a, there, we're in a different stage. I think when you go through menopause, what it, it frees you up to be a wise woman. Mm-hmm. It For frees sure. you of all of that stuff. That's, it's a sign that this is over. The same way, you know, when you started your cycle was a sign that you were entering these years. This is a sign that it's over and it's more than a physical sign. Yeah. It's a spiritual intuitive sign. We're being, we're being released and given space to create something new and wonderful. To create. That's exactly it. And like in the Japanese culture, for example, they don't even have a word that translates directly for menopause. The word that they use for this time of life is new spring. I'm like, isn't that beautiful? Isn't it? It's like, yeah. yeah, you're entering a whole new growth period of your life. And yeah, it's, and that's exactly what it is. But because Western culture has defined it as having gray hair and, and a few more wrinkles. And now it's like, oh, no, no, fight, resist until, you know, and yeah. the more you fight it, like I think Christian Northup talks about this, you know, the more you fight it, the more, the worse your symptoms are likely going to be. Yes. I had hot flashes. I was, you know, I'm really proud of the way I handled things. I didn't plan to do any of it. It just happened. Like I remember having hot flashes in the boardroom at the beginning and being like, oh my God, what's happening to me? Because never in my life had my forearms sweat. And I was like, (laughs) what is, what is this? Right. And I feel like I was on fire. And I remember one time one of the guys turned to me because I guess I went all red and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm having a hot flash. And he turned, I don't know how many shades of red. And I laughed to myself. I'm like, well, I'm not going to sit here and have somebody thinking that I'm upset or nervous or something. I'm just having a hot flash. It's normal. I didn't realize that it would embarrass him. Right. I would acknowledge it's just a hot flash. Like, it, it's such a weird time. In our, nobody wants to acknowledge it. Women don't want to talk about it. Men definitely don't want to know about it. But if you look at our history, like, I, you know, I'm like, look at the Disney movies. Look at everything. We talk about little girls growing up to be women, growing up to be mothers. And then we kind of fall off the earth until we come back as grannies. Yeah. 
nobody talks about us in between. Yeah. We don't matter at all in between. Yeah. No, that's true. Well, we, we become invisible. And yeah. a lot of women feel that way, which is why we always, we also rebel against that time, this time of our lives and try to hold ourselves, you know, back in our 30s and 40s, like physically, because it's not societally acceptable. It's like you're entering no man's land. I mean, think about, you know, when you see in mainstream media advertising, right? Like mm-hmm. anytime that you see a woman who is over the age of 40, it's for bladder leakage protection, yes, retirement or meal replacement shakes so she can play with her grandkids. And I'm like, anti-aging. Talk about tone deaf. Yeah, and anti-aging. Talk about tone deaf and out of touch with who the women are because I'm looking around going, that's not me and I don't see any of my my peers sitting around waiting for grandkids to come and visit. Like, that's not it. (laughs) Right? Right. There's something that, I'm going to say this, but I'm going to preface it by saying I completely support all women in doing what they need to do to feel and look their best and be their healthiest. That's not what I'm talking about when I say what I'm going to say. But when I watch 50 year old women trying so hard to hold on to their youth in a way that no longer exists, I'm sad for that because you're fighting so hard. Embrace who, like, that's what society has done to us. That, you know, like you're 50 years old and you're desperately trying to look and fit in with a 30 something year old crowd. And you don't have to do that. But that's because you don't have to do that. But we have been taught that our value is in how we look. Yes, that's what's sad. Right. And instead of the fact that instead of it being about how we look at this time, it's all about our wisdom. It's about our knowledge and our experience. And if you've never been told that or you've never been given permission to see yourself that way, how would you even know? Right. So you spend so much time and energy rebelling against the physical parts of you that are accepted in society, that you're missing out on this deep, deep time of wisdom. Yes. And if you look around, we're not old. We're not old. We're not, even we're not old. old. We don't look 80. We're not old. We're, we're just 50. We're not old. We're not, we're no. not old women. And let's embrace who we are. Let's, if we shifted all that energy, you said it perfectly. If we just shifted all of that energy into who we're becoming. Yeah. Like I, I say, you know, um, how do I put it? Midlife is only a crisis if you miss the awakening. Oh, that's another good one. Oh, you're full of good tweets today. That's, that's, <laughs> my, that's sort of my thing, right? It's only a crisis if you miss the awakening and you will stay in crisis mode yeah. until you're ready to feel that awakening. And some fight it longer and harder. And I, I also say, you know, midlife, menopause, the whole trip, it's coming, like midlife comes for us. You don't have, I mean, the alternative is you die. So really be grateful to be here, yeah. but it's coming. The changes in you are coming. So you have the option to, to look at them and embrace them and, and answer the questions that are coming up for yourself and embrace it. Or you can fight it as hard as you want, but it's not going away. It's still there. Yeah, so true. So tell us a little bit more than like your trip to Africa and like being in your truth. Like how, what did that feel like? What did that look like? And how did that, you know, change how you thought about your life and what to do moving forward? You know, the greatest thing is I don't have any rules for myself anymore. I don't have rules. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't have to be anything. I don't have to be connected to a faith. I don't have to have a boyfriend. Or if I do, I get to define how my relationship looks. It doesn't have to look the way anybody else thinks it should. I get to choose who I hang out with, when, where, why. Like I don't, and I don't, the biggest thing is I don't answer to anybody. And I am so awesome 
just the way I am and owning my space. I go where I want. I've traveled to some great countries. I am a curious person. And for so long, again, maybe it's an immigrant mentality too, but it's a lot, a lot of people have an attitude of, you know, stay in what you know. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. If you're comfortable there, if that's where you want to live, there's nothing wrong with that. But if it's not where I want to live, it's hard when I try to stay there. So I've, you know, I've gotten to explore some different countries. I've gotten to explore different cultures. I do things that I would have never done. I just love my freedom. I love that I question everything about my getting older and how it looks and who I am. I love that my intuition is getting stronger and more powerful and that I listen to it. Right. So in your definition of your midlife awakening, it was really about, if I'm if I'm characterizing this correctly and, you know, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. It was really kind of like the courage to step out of the mold that had been created for you to be able to find the things that were important to you and to define your life based on those things. Yes. And to start living it, like living, living living my life, my way, not worrying about what the Joneses are doing or, you know, how it looks on other people or what job title I should have or where I should live or any of it, anything. Like it's just, I'm so taking my, I've taken myself away from that nonsense. Like this is me and my fought so hard to fit into this mold before. And now I just live to be who I am and know that it's okay. And there's, Mm -hmm. there's such a strength in that. Right. And how has the acceptance from your family been around all of that? I mean, of course, they still love you, but was it like, are they fully in acceptance of the way that you choose to live or? Yes. I mean, you know, the interesting part is when you, it's not like I live some wild lifestyle or that I'm so far removed from how most people live that it's like, oh my God, what has she done? It's not, but, but it feels that extreme when you're so confined. Right. The truth is that most when you're willing to change, your relationships are going to change. Some for the better and some will fall off because the relationships that I had based on the, who I'm supposed to be part of me don't survive. Mm -hmm. The people who really loved me and who I really love, we still love each other. Right. And the truth is they always did love me. It was my belief. Yeah. You know, and that is, that is so true because, you know, I hear this from my clients in, in that, you know, well, I have to do things this way because so-and-so expects it, or my husband only knows me this way, or, you know, uh, this is the only thing I've ever done in my life. And it's like, we have, we project our identities onto people, right? Yes. And then we, we become so hooked into that person needing you to be that way. When the reality is, if you change, the other person will be like, oh, oh, okay. New normal and away you go. In yeah. in most cases, I mean, there. Yeah. You know, sometimes the changes are drastic enough that you're like, wait a minute, who were you all along, right? But and it's yeah, it's interesting the the identities we create for ourselves and then how we hold on to them. And I don't say no because or no, but I just say no. Yeah. And sometimes people want an ex, and it's hard. It is hard when someone invites you somewhere or asks you to be somewhere, and you just say no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, it's interesting, but I'm like, it was an invitation. I'm allowed to decline it. When I say yes, people don't say yes. Okay, why? So when I say no, just accept my no in some cases. And if I, you know, like even just simple things lately, like, you know, calls, people are like, can we schedule a call tomorrow? I'm like, no, I'm I'm unavailable tomorrow. I don't have to explain why. Yeah. 
I'm just unavailable tomorrow. I don't have to. I, people pleasing is over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So well, and, over. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, in some respects, we become so much more confident in who we are and able to speak our truth. But there's a flip side to that where we also are less comfortable because we're stepping into a new arena and we don't really know what that means for us. And so, yes. you know, navigating between those two things is hard. But like, yeah, I think for most of us in this time of life, you're like, uh, yeah, I ain't, I ain't got time for that anymore. <laughs> right? Yeah. So when I look back at the beginning stages, because I think it's almost more important, I think what's hard is, and this is what I find happens to a lot of women and maybe yourself to tell me, right? But you, yeah, you have that moment where your life, your life has been fine. It looks fine, but something is not, something starts to feel off, right? And these questions come up. And I think those are the moments where we either, we push it down and fight harder to maintain the status quo. So if, if I had to say anything to women who were starting in midlife, my thing would be to not panic when you start hearing these voices, these questions, these feelings coming up and just take a deep breath and just listen to what your soul, your body, your intuition, whatever is, is asking of you. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times it's not that intense. Yeah. We, we intensify it by not addressing it. Resisting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's like, no. And it's like, maybe it just wanted you to read a book. Well, and this is one of my missions in life is because I was in the camp where in all reality, the, like, the truth and the knowing would probably happen five years before that. But I was too afraid of yeah. what it was going to mean to start listening to those things, that I was going to have to blow up my life. But th- what happens is, is your truth is always going to come out one way or the other. So you can take the easy road and start listening and get curious, like you said, or you could be like me and resist hard until your truth literally hits you over the head and says, nah, sister, we're going in the other direction. So yes. for me, it was like, I was like divorced, empty nester, you know, <laughs> without a job and a stress-related illness that I literally couldn't get out of bed. Like I was literally forced to stare my truth in the face. I had no other choice. There was no distractions anymore. Right. And, but it took, it literally took that having to stop me dead in my tracks to get me to come face to face with it. That is the way I encourage people to not do it because it doesn't need to be that dramatic. It really doesn't. And I have, um, I have a very similar. So remember when I said, when I first heard the voice, I assumed it meant I should lose weight. Yeah. So I did, I did. I, I gave up sugar and I lost all this weight and then I picked it up again because that wasn't what I was, that wasn't the, that wasn't what the voice was asking of me. Right. So when that wasn't the solution and it kept niggling at me, I started eating again because I'm like, well, this is, I don't know what's wrong here. So it's not necessarily an easy journey. And you know, yeah. it's not, it's not for the weak. Like you have to develop some, some strength in your character at this age because it is, it asks a lot of you. Well, that was the exact same thing for me. I was like, you know, sitting around the table, looking at the people I worked with going like, what the hell am I doing here? And I thought the answer was, oh, go get a new job. So what did I do? I go in and got a new job. And then right. I was like, mm, not yeah, answer. no, this is not the answer, <laughs> right? But because like, I, I'm definitely in the truth of no better, do better, right? But if you've never yeah. seen it modeled, and this comes back to the point that you were talking about, like, where are the women before us? Because if you've never seen it modeled, you don't see it as an option. Yes. Right? Um, yes. Yeah. And coming up one of the podcasts, a little sneak peek for, peek for everybody who's listening, I'm actually going to interview my daughter. Because awesome. my daughter, who is 27 years old, has watched me <laughs> for the last 
seven years literally navigating this whole process. And I am so interested in it. I'm like, I'm trying not to have this conversation with her because I want to save it for the podcast. But why I'm bringing this up is I am so interested to understand her take and like she knows the work that I do, right? right? I'm so interested to see her take and her perspective on what she sees as possible for the next chapter of her life that the that. women in our generation haven't, didn't have modeled for us. Yeah. And we're not, a lot of us still aren't modeling it for our children because no. we haven't figured it out. And I think, yeah. you know, initially my whole thing was I want to work, I really want to work with women in their 40s and 50s. And I still do because, because there's something about like this educating of each other is beautiful. It has to be done. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, wait a minute, we need to start talking to women in their 30s so that they can start not dreading what's coming. Like if we yeah. can start teaching younger women that they don't have to dread what's ahead and teach them the powerful time they're coming into. Like men of our age are ruling countries yeah. and we're invisible. Yeah. And they're not doing the best job, by the way. But anyway, that's a whole other question. But the other, I mean, the way to educate, though, too, is also for us to model it for them, right? Like, so you of can course. tell them, right? But if we're not stepping into our power and, like, really owning our wisdom at this point in our lives, like, they need to see that demonstrated. Yes, 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 right? 100%, 100%. And I think that that's exactly what I mean. Like, we have to be living it. Because the truth is, if we're not living it, you can't really teach it anyway, because chances are you haven't figured it out for yourself yet. Yeah. You're probably yeah, yeah. in that crisis. Yeah. So it's once you have your awakening, we have a duty to help educate the women coming after us yeah. so that they can not, because even young women don't want to talk about menopause. Oh, God, no. Talk, why like, why would like, you? <laughs> Ew, you're old. Yeah. Like, it's like, you know, let's change that attitude that at 50, we're stepping into a more powerful time. We're not old. Yeah. In fact, I espouse the joys of not having a period to my daughter all the time. I love it. It's the best thing that's <laughs> ever happened. <laughs> you don't have to worry about this. You know, and there's another, there's a saying, uh, and I don't know where this came from, but, you know, when you heal yourself, you're healing seven generations back and seven generations forward right? So we are literally the generation of women who are going to be the pattern interrupt to what is centuries of, you know, women stepping back, women taking the back seat, right? Yes. Like in Western culture, let me put it that way, because there are many cultures around the world where women in menopause are revered. Yes. In fact, there are some African tribes where when a woman goes through menopause, she then joins the elders of the tribe where only men and menopausal women can exist which is, we are the elders. We are becoming, right. we are, you know, I, I think midlife is sort of that trend. Like it is, it's like, it's puberty into those wise woman years where yes. we're really wise. And I don't know, you know, again, it's all political and society put us here and blah, blah, blah. I could get into all that. We know how we got here. I mean, read a book. We all know how we got here. Right. And yeah, there are cultures still in this world who revere older women. We have to worry about this North American culture yeah. and no one's going to give it to us. No, no, no. We have no. to stand up and take it back. Like we yeah. are, we are powerful beings. We are not invisible. We are not invisible. We're only invisible if we let ourselves be invisible. Yes. Right. If we choose to succumb to the status quo. Yeah. And just and, let our, yeah. And buy into the patri patriarchal view of the world. Yes. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, there are so many intersections in this, <laughs> in this conversation, you know, that we could have that could, you yeah. know, take us down a number of different, a number of different tracks, but it's, I think the point of this is, is that, you know, we reach a point in our life where we make a decision about how we are choosing to move forward, right? And yes. you can choose to move forward in, in denying that you are who you are and 
focusing on what you're losing, or you can choose to move forward, you know, seeing the gifts that you are being given at this time of life and then using them, right? Yes. And, you know, and we're not all, we aren't all the same. We're all going to go through this in our own way. And there are, I believe there are women, like, I believe that I, I, my job in my life is now where I think there are women who maybe their biggest job in life was their mothering years. And this is their slowdown. I think we come in different Mm -hmm. stages and ways and where we're the most impactful. So Mm -hmm. not every woman has to shout from the rooftops, but every woman has this in her. I also believe that it comes for you. If you've been living your life authentically to yourself from the earlier years, this is an easy transition. Yes. Because you're already authentically yourself. If you have been living a life that is uh, repressed, <laughs> you know, because you're living, trying to make other people happy and you're not happy in your life, it will be a harder, harder thing because that voice will be harder pushing you and oh, yeah. coming at you. But it, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. Well, again, you can escape your truth and authenticity and it's going to come out one way or the other. Right. Like God bless the people who figured it out from the get go and lived it. I'm like, I kind of wish that was me in some respects, but I also don't wish that was, that it was me because my experience has put me in a position now to be able to help so many more women, like having conversations with women like you and all the other people that I talk to on the podcast and, you know, my clients and the people I meet in the light of my work. And so I feel blessed, but your truth will become known. Yeah. It will become known. And you can do that at 20, 30, 40 or 80 right? But it will become known. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So what would you give us kind of your, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, but you know, your one or two things that you would say to a woman, okay, let's say you're talking to a woman in her mid thirties, you know, about what's about to come next in her life. What would be the advice that you would give to her about midlife? I would probably start encouraging her to already live in her truth if she isn't like to really I think the strongest message for women is our intuition is real. Mm. It is real and it is powerful Mm. and that we should trust it. You know, I think men call it a gut instinct because they don't have a womb, but I I think it comes from the generations before us. There's a wisdom that is born in us as women that I don't think men have the same at all. So I would tell all younger women, start to really listen and trust that voice. Uh test it if you have to but start to get comfortable with that voice because it's going to get louder Uh great advice that is probably the first thing i would say to them and also not to fear it you know do your best feel your best look your best but always be proud of where you're at in your life and don't try to deny yourself that yeah amazing Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us and having this conversation. It was a really good conversation. I encourage all of my listeners to go check out Helen's uh, Speaker Slam presentation. It was amazing. It was really, really good. So I'll put the link to that in the show notes. But yeah, there's just some, again, we could we could talk about this for a long yeah. time because, and I say this every podcast because I am just... <laughs> I love, 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 love these conversations. Like I feel so blessed to have them. So I appreciate you taking the time and thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you, Jennifer. It's been great. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in. 